You're listening to the Soul Rare er, 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 Ramble. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> Should we cut that out? Should we try that again? No. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Soul Rare Ramble. Of course, we've got the boys here today. We've got me, it's Haber. We've got Soul Rare Monkey or David, and we've got the Bull Star or Chris. Welcome, guys. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Self? You've had a pretty good game week. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. It's, uh, it's been a, probably the best one in in a, in a long time for me. I reckon. Nice. What about you, Chris? Not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hit the threshold and didn't do much else really. Um, started all right in the two twenty comps, but um, I mean the scores were mad, weren't they? This week uh, we had the we had a L fifteen zero in Ramsdale that. A lot of people jumped on, especially limited, and uh, it just meant that the scores were really high. So I think I've started quite solidly, but um, I'm somewhere around 400 in limited, which is, um, you know, for the score I got um, quite far down, really. Yeah, it's crazy. I had, um, like, after Friday, in fact, even partway through Saturday, my 220 rare and 220 limited had like hundreds. In them, I knew obviously Ramsdale played, then he kept a clean sheet. Bergwies got like uh, nearly got a hundred. I think I was on for thinking I could get maybe 450 if Kulu had a good game for um, Lausanne on Sunday. Obviously, he didn't. Um, if Eric Dyer had played, I would have got up towards 400 in 220 rare. Obviously, he didn't play, they decided to play a liability for a wing back at centre back. And if they do that again next weekend, I guarantee you they're going to get hammered by City. But... Anyway, yeah. So, sorry about that. My lord <laughs> telling me to set my teams. <laughs> That's good, actually. I need to do that. I'm going to set an alarm now because I actually, I, I'm not kidding. Had I not have like gone into the group chat to talk about my lineups, and then I realised, oh, I haven't set them. I haven't set them on so rare. I would have just not had lineups this week. That it was dangerous. Breaking, considering how good a card you've got. I know that would have been awful. It's it's quite funny. So, like sometimes, and it might sound a bit sad, but sometimes I have so rare related dreams. <laughs> and the amount of times I've had dreams where, like, or like maybe nightmares you call them, where like in my dream I've had like three one hundreds, and then somebody's DMP'd. And I've actually had dreams about that. I've actually had dreams where like I've had a zero a DMP with like a, the best start I've ever had in my life, and it's. I don't know if I should talk to someone about that. I think you just need to get out more, Haber, to be honest. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. You're not you're not wrong. You know, maybe I'll I tell you what, with the week I've had this week, I'll sell everything, go on holiday, mate. That's what I need to do. Yeah. So <laughs> tell, tell us about your week, because I, I could tell you you're literally being patient, being calm, but ready to go into a fucking I just had a stormer. Like I just I just had an absolute like I mean, my lineups looked good from the start. But like in general, it's had a stormer. I mean, America Rare Plus, we got my highest score there. Which was four fifty, and I didn't expect it because the first player to play was Tikinio, super rare, my striker, and he dropped a thirty four point six. So I mean, naturally, you just assume that dead that dead to the lineup straight away. 
So I didn't even, I didn't really, I did, I watched the Houston game, game just because I enjoy watching Houston. And obviously Herrera, Hector Herrera is, in my opinion, a top three America card. Just in general, I think he's just unbelievable. Uh, and he dropped a nice 78.2. I didn't watch Seattle because I was like, the, the lineup's dead anyway. And Jao Paulo, who is on an absolute heater, unfortunately, they don't have any more games now, but he was on a heater, dropped an 84. And then I was like, I didn't even think about that lineup. And uh, out of nowhere, we get a 77.1 from Hoyos, 100 from Velazquez, and end up coming fourth. So I'm going to, ending this ending this week with a tier one there, which surprised me because when you've got a goalie and defender, like obviously you have that little bit of hope, but like I needed 140 points combined just to get a reward. And that's what a clean sheet and a 70, which is already high. Like it's unlikely anyway. Um, so yeah, I was shocked, and I have great percentages on those as well. So I have a 11.5 on Hoyos and 12 on Velasquez. So their percentages definitely helped there. Um, but that was that was the best one I had, and then I had Champion Europe did really well as well, 444 points. Even despite Captain Kimmich with a fifty-six, could have been could have been monstrous if Kimmich. Do you know it wasn't even Kimmich's fault? It was Leroy Zane decided to pass two passes from Kimmich through? Absolute knob. So, so what, yeah, we did. So what did really are you? Well. So you're getting a one, two, three, four. Yeah, nice. Tier, all all through the tiers, bar five would have been would have been fun. I really wish we'd have got a tier five just to have the tier one, two, three, four, and five. It would have looked very satisfying. So, but I'm I'm buzzing. Yeah, I've, I've done really well this week. I bet you. I'll tell you what dreams I have, by the way, about sorry. I dream to have a week like Ryan's just had, <laughs> having gallery where I win all those big prizes. This that never happens be- to me, though. Genuine. I always I, like. I will mess it up no matter what. I like most weeks. I come away with maybe one reward. Like I always mess it up. So to have like three or four lineups hit is like unheard of for me. I'm very happy about that. I bet you the tier two champ is worth more than the tier one America. Oh, it will be. I looked at the prize pool for champion. Like what what got me a bit excited about it. I was a little bit gutted to drop out a tier one because it's like 1.3 points to a tier one. I was gutted about that. But then I looked and you know, I realized that uh, in the, because I think tier twos are start at 13th place and I'm 14th. So I'm second in the, in the pool and about five or six cards down actually no one two three four five six seven eight nine ten cards down is a rashford i'd bloody love a rashford reward yeah, pretty stupid we'll of talk me, about more more about him in a minute but it looks like going ginger is the way forward honestly he's died his uh died his main ginger i thought yeah, he was still rubbish but, you know he scored a penalty got given a pity penalty unfortunately i don't like when players somewhere. get that i'm not a fan of that i don't like pity penalties I don't know. It's not me. Like, I think it's a bit pathetic, to be honest. It's like when when they gave Havertz that penalty at Arsenal, I'm just like, mate, he's a he's a grown man. He's 20, 24, 25 years old. Like, you don't need to you don't need to come and get. It's not like the the coaches. So when you're a kid, you, the coach's son's always a little chubby boy, isn't he? and he always like gets pity minutes and stuff like that. It's not like that, is it? You don't bring him over and give him a penalty just to like you know make him feel part of the squad. It's just like what are we doing here. Yeah, I don't know. But only time will tell. I, I don't mind it. You know, I feel like Rashford is one of those players that really needs sort of an arm around him and a, you know a little bit of love to get him going. But when he gets going, he's like a you know a man on a mission. And if he turns into that, then you know maybe it was worth it. I was reading a um, something online this week about him where um, he's been on and off with the same girlfriend for about five years, and and his form fluctuates a lot depending on the status of his relationship with her. 
Maybe so, we need um, to find that out and try. That is true. <laughs> it is, it is true. It's a bit it's a bit of a weird one. It's like a lot of people now think that his form will come back because he's back with her. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? We'll see. Oh, is he? Okay, so we'll, you know, Soro Ramble says bye. Good, <laughs> good loving, good loving equals good form. Obviously, yeah. there you go. When he's getting his oats, he's getting his goals. <laughs> That's it. So, so interestingly enough, so I had an absolute roster this week in just in general when it comes to my cap two twenties, and. I think this will be a bit more relatable to a lot of people watching as well. When I have a bad first week when it comes to the cap modes, the monthlies, I just want to bin it straight away. What's a bad week? I don't know what you finished. Terrible. Awful. Um, So I started off really well. Let me... So I'm 8,400th in cap to 20 limited, 8,700th in uh, rare, and then 276th in super rare. So, but the thing is, is that, I, so I was straight away, I was like, oh, I, I CBA to even, you know, continue. Like, it's I've had a bad weeks, week. Mate. That's what I mean. It doesn't even, like, if, you have a, if I have a good week next week, that's my just that's, that's just my first week that gets counted. I always forget that they don't accumulate all eight weeks. It's just four of the scores. Yeah. Um, And I wonder if there'll be a lot of people listening that maybe have a similar thing where they've had a rotter of a first week. It doesn't, it literally doesn't matter at all. It's- it's quite nice coming at the backside as well. Like I did that last time. Sorry, that whatever word. Is I'm it quite? It's quite now. nice coming at the backside, is it, David? <laughs> but like when you're like last time, I had some real stinkers right at the start. But the back end scores I had were, were amazing. So literally, back end of the tournament, I literally started creeping up and up and up. But yeah, probably ch- chose the wrong words there. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to the Prem recap then, because we had a what I'd like to call goal of my life. Goal of, the, after, eh? goal of the... I'd say Puskas winner, unless unless there is some crazy goal between now and the Puskas award, that's got to win it for me. That was just absolutely unbelievable. I can't believe he generated so much height and, like, I don't know, I don't know how he even did it. It just shocked me. The only thing, like, I think it's better than Rooney's. I think it's the best overhead kick we've seen in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. However, mm. the only Ooh. thing that's going against it, in my opinion, is I like them when they come off the foot and it pure, it literally just doesn't loop, it literally just smashes the back of the net. And Rooney's did that, but Rooney's was a little bit shin. So I, I've written down here, so just going on to that, I've written down like where do you think it rates in the best bicycle kicks? For me, ever. it's one ever, number no. one, yeah. I would really? say if I had to give a top five bicycle kicks, I'd go Ganacho's, Ronaldo's. Ooh, would I put Ronaldo second or Bale second? I'm gonna say Ganacho, Bale, Ronaldo, Rooney, Zlatan against England. That'd be my five. Trevor Sinclair feels very insulted right now. There was a scissor kick in the Premier League a few years ago, and I can't remember who it was. Was it Andy scissor. Carroll? Might have been. He's he is a scissor kick kind of guy, isn't he? But it was like a it was a sort of overhead kick, but it was sort of you know a little bit more. Diagonal, but he got so much power on it. Honestly, it was unbelievable. But Ganacho's as well. It looked like the ball was too far away from him, didn't it? When it came, yeah, up, that I I could not believe it. And I think just for that purpose, like it wasn't like it was not. It wasn't like laid up for him to do like an overhead kick, and that's why he had to reach for it, and that's why it spooned a bit. But yeah, I just yeah, it was incredible. So my my top three. He's probably bail first because I think you got to take into account the occasion, and it was the Champions League final. 
um, against Liverpool. I think um, the Trevor Sinclair one for QPR back in the days outside the area and yeah, that you know, was incredible, got, yeah. It was and it's one that's forgotten about now because it was kind of twenty years ago, but it's incredible. And do you remember the Philip Mexes one from Milan? I do remember that one. Yeah. yeah, I do remember that one. That was that, good, he's but... chested it up in the air himself and generated all the power off it. Which I, I think doing that without it being a cross and off your own chest generating it, that what about, power. Well, that's Latan against against England. Yeah, that's up there as well. That's got to be up there for me as well. But it was an open goal. <laughs> yeah, it was. But also, he didn't even look at the goal once, did he? he? He ran with his back to goal and then did. For me, I think I can't. I don't know if you can take context of game into account when when judging a goal because it's just the quality and the like technical ability of the goal because for me if I was if I was taking context and I'd say Rooney's is the better overhead kick because it was against City in the derby but for me I, yeah but I think I think Ganacho's was technically just better I but... don't think you have to take context in when you look yeah at that's what I'm saying yeah I think the pressure of the situation of playing in a game like that to have the you know the balls to do that takes some doing as well and uh, then again that... Ganacho's only 18 as well so you got to take that into account yeah. as well you know Oh, it was a great goal. I think it's right up there, though. I think it's technique-wise, it was very, 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 very high on that list. And and like you say, it takes some some beating, but it was it was incredible, wasn't it? I think it was quite interesting that because there were some rumours at the start of the season about him being a bit, you know, a bit big for his boots and not falling out with a few sort of senior players in the Man United squad. And in the interview afterwards, when uh, Bruno gave him the Man of the Match award, he spent probably 75% of the interview playing down the goal, telling him that Ganacho is a great player, but he needs to work harder. And then he said, oh, by the way, it was a good goal. Yeah, there's the award, blah, blah, blah. So it's quite interesting that maybe he's sort of calmed down a bit and sort of, you know, put, reined it in. But he is an amazing player. But yeah, my yeah. Favorite, I think my favourite goals would be Steven Gerrard, Luis Suarez and uh, Xabi Alonso. But no I'll tell goals. you what, right, on the, on the topic of... of amazing goals and it's a goal that does not get talked about enough I think was it against Norwich for Suarez goal where the ball comes over the top right keepers come out he takes it down and he's really close to the yeah he's really close to the byline anyway takes it down knocks it past a keeper and puts it in and I think on a technical level that's one of the hardest goals that anyone can ever like score in my opinion I think that that the ability to not to take that touch and the ball not go out of play is just so ridiculous and I, I, that doesn't get talked about enough, to be fair. I think Although I hate Newcastle, that one, by the I way. Guess Newcastle, yeah, yeah. Although I hate Norwich Suarez, one, little rat. The Norwich one was the one where he's flicked it over somebody and then kind of half volleyed it in. Uh, yeah. 25, 30 yards. He's uh, got quite a good catalogue against Norwich, hasn't he, Suarez? He loves dunking yeah. on Norwich. Although I hate, I think Suarez is an absolute rat bag, by the way. I hate that guy. But like, one of the best strikers of our generation, 100%. Like, does not, I think if he didn't bite people and he wasn't racist, he'd definitely be up there as one of the best. But, no, he's an absolute nutbag, no doubt. But yeah. yeah, he was amazing. Awesome player. In terms of actual games, though, so I didn't watch the City Liverpool game. I did watch the highlights. Yeah. I mean, you two are Liverpool fans, right? From my perspective, and again, I didn't watch the full game. I just watched the highlights. I think you've got to put a bit of blame on Alisson there. I think he's got to save that Haaland shot, me. I mean, it's his mistake in the first place. Unlucky that he slipped as he's he's trying to find Salah with that um, the long kick, but. He got a hand to it, and I think you know if you speak to most goalkeepers, even at amateur level, if they get a hand to it, they feel like they should save it. Um, so I think as a keeper, it'd be 
probably frustrated on on two accounts with that that he made a mistake and then he didn't get a strong enough hand to push it away. But um, we weren't great though, were we, Chris? We weren't good now. Sl- sloppy performance, really. I think you know to come away from that game with a one-all draw really like a win, didn't it? Very good result, yeah. And it was a good, it was a lovely goal by Trent as well. Actually, he took it. Yeah, it was a good finish. Took it really well, didn't he? And we were better in the second half, but, but you know, I still didn't. They were still by far the better team, which is often the case when we're at um, Yetihad, anyway. But I think for the Premier League overall as well, it was great that we got that. Um... The draw. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's nice. It's also nice to see that. I think I think what I've I've enjoyed over the last few weeks, although City hammered us, I think it's different with us because we have this habit against City of just going into our shell. But like, if you take a game, even if you don't play to the best, I mean, Chelsea didn't play amazingly against City, but they took the game to them. And I think it kind of shows that you can actually kind of stu- stun City a little bit if you if you really take the game to them. You really just attack, attack, attack. Yeah. And it, and it goes to show, I think Newcastle showed it last year and kind of made a blueprint now that if you just take the game to them, they are a beatable team. Um, and I'm kind of hoping it happens a bit more this season because of fucking AM. Um, there were a few other games. I mean, United-Everton was a fantastic game for me just because that goal was brilliant. But we did play pretty badly after the goal. We kind of sat back. We we invited pressure and it was, it was poor to see. And then second half, we played really well. Um, but the one game that I watched yesterday, the Fulham Wolves game, I can't believe how terrible the refereeing was. Did yeah, you guys yeah. watch it? Yeah, yeah. no, it I cannot awful. believe it. I, I cannot. That first penalty, the the one I can't remember the Wolves player it was, but he gets the ball, doesn't touch the man, and, and VAR overturn it and give a penalty. What I think maybe he did touch the man, but my my problem with that isn't that he. Like, my problem is that it's clear and obvious errors. The ref's not given a penalty. Is that a clear and obvious error? Certainly not. No. You know, they had to look at it for 10 minutes to decide whether it was a bloody penalty or not. And even then, you know, viewers watching it could tell you it wasn't obvious. So should it be overturned? No. I think VAR at the moment is just really stifling um, football, to be honest. It's just it's becoming quite frustrating how stop-start it, it, it is currently and, you know, every decision seems to go to VAR. Um, I mean, I was watching, um, didn't watch it live, but I watched. Uh, I was watching the Spurs-Villa highlights and there was like, and they were offside goals, but there was about four or five goals in that game disallowed. It was incredible. And they were all by like, you know, a big... T- Chris is gone. <laughs> Chris's pause. So I'll continue what he was about to say. They're all by quite close decisions. And yeah. I think the trouble is there that when you get to, you know, those fine margins that they are going to take a while to review. And I'd be interested to know what you think about the, the Wenger rule, because like, there's been talk of it. And for me, it just, yes, it could lead to more goals, or that I, though I think it's more likely to lead to teams changing the way they play and playing deeper. Because you can't play, you know, with your centre backs on the centre line, can you? If someone's, you know, got more space to run in behind, especially if you've got pacey attackers. What do you think on the Wenger rule? Then? I don't. I I personally don't like the Wenger rule, but what I do think, and what I what has annoyed me for a long time, the technology we had in the World Cup for for offsides, how is that not in place everywhere? It, you remember how they had the literal, and, and they have it in the Champions League as well, where they can have they have the silhouettes of the players, and you can literally just see 
who's onside, who's offside. And they have, it's brilliant technology. And the fact that we don't have that, that's what annoys me. Like we, there is technology out there that can, that can take away the human error when it comes to that sort of thing. Obviously the, the rest of it is, is human error when it comes to like penalties and things like that. Uh, and that's the problem rather than it being actual VAR. And I think that that's, maybe I misspoke earlier. It's not VAR. It's the people in charge of VAR that the problem, but that's that for me. I I, I don't, I don't really like the Wenger ruling. Cause I think like, I don't, I don't know personally, like I just, I, I think I'd, I'd be angry if a goal was scored that was offside in today's rules, but now onside technically, I think that'd like annoy me a bit. Um, for the listeners that sort of don't know what the Wenger rule is, essentially it's, you know, an idea that's come up by the old Arsenal manager, Arsene Wenger, where your own, the attacker is only offside if there's daylight between him and the last defender. So for me, it just literally pushes the problem down the line. There's still going to be judgment calls, but... Yeah. What do you think on that, Chris? Are you back with us? Yeah, um, it is an interesting one, but I think, like you say, you're just kind of moving where the, the line is, aren't you, rather than it being you know, uh, literally a, a millimetre of somebody's body being offside as it is at the minute, it then becomes, well, is it daylight? Is it not daylight? You know, and, and you're still going to end up having VAR in the same situation. It just means that, you know, attackers can probably get a bit more away with a bit more and it kind of um, gives a bit more power to the attacking team rather than the defending team at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's tricky. It is very tricky. Um and I'm not too sure what the answer is, but at the moment it just seems a bit sort of sterile. And, and it's a bit sad when a player scores a goal, goes off to celebrate, and they don't really know whether they've actually scored. And it kind of takes a lot of the natural, um, you know, passion and uh, exuberance of of a goal being scored out of things, which is, as a fan and as a player who's just scored a goal, is is a bit of a issue in the game, I suppose, at the moment. I think, I mean, offside should be a binary rule. You're either offside or you're not. Yeah. And as long as they get those decisions right and quickly, I haven't got a problem with it. So I don't know whether the Wenger rule solves that. I just think it's the people operating VAR, as you just said, Ryan, that needs to sort it out. I, I'd still like, I mean, when, when VAR was mooted years ago, I always thought it would be a good thing. But I think the way that it's implemented currently is is two stop start. And I, I'd like it if... Um, you had a similar system to tennis where each side had, say, three appeals during the game and it's up to them to, you know, if a goal scored, it's up to them if they want to go to VAR and, and have that decision reviewed. Yeah, it's five it's, minutes appealing it, five minutes deciding whether to appeal it. Well, yeah, we've, I don't know, maybe you've got to have the captain's got to make that decision within 30 seconds of something happening. And, you know, there's ways you could do it so that it doesn't slow the, slow the game down too much. And I think it would also bring a bit of sort of tactical element to, you know, how you go about using that, whether you kind of haven't used any earlier on in the game and you're trying to use it to break the game up and, and you know, kill time um, late in the second half. Teams would definitely use it like that. But, um, you know, it, it'd be quite interesting if you've used up all your, um, your decisions and all your, all your um, VAR reviews, um you know, if something happens late in the game and you've got nothing left, then it just goes to the on on field um referee to make a decision. And um I think it'd be quite interesting anyway to to have that as a as, as an option. And it seems to work quite well in tennis and they haven't they haven't changed it for, to my knowledge since it's been implemented there. So um that that's an idea that I think might be quite fun and, and you know, 
uh, actually add a little bit to the excitement of things. I think I think a big problem with VAR as well is that there are certain like very vague rules that they have to follow, and it can get very confusing at times as well. Like you say, the clear and obvious error, like the amount of decisions I've seen where VAR's gone looking for something. It's and they've made the referee overturn a decision that's not a clear and obvious error at the time, and that Wolves penalty yesterday is a prime example. But also, like there are things like the, they can't they can't stop and go back for a game and things like that. Like the Luis Diaz offside goal, when they realised they fucked up, they should have stopped the game there and then, gone back, awarded the goal, explained to them what happened, and then you start the game again. That's what should have happened. But they can't do that because they're not allowed to change this or go back or, or stop the game here. And it's like things like that are the, are the big issue here. And I think if they were able to clarify a set of rules that made sense and gave them the tools to actually intervene properly and told them when they can and when they can't intervene, I think it wouldn't be a bad tool. But unfortunately, you've got these idiots that are, that are in the VAR room sometimes, or even maybe they're not idiots and they're just massively under pressure. But they they make these terrible decisions so often now, and it's just been to the point where I kind of just want to see it scrapped. I'm like, so, so sick of it. It just take like you say, it takes away the excitement of football, it takes away these special moments. Like I know, obviously, I'm a United fan, but like the Ganacho goal that was given offside against Arsenal, right? The camera angle that they used for that was absolutely terrible. They, they you literally cannot decipher whether that's offside or not with that camera angle, right? And they give they give it whatever, like if it's offside, if it's not offside, I don't know. But it looked offside, probably offside. But things like that with VAR, while she may get wrong decisions there, they're the magic moments of football. And I feel like we get less and less of those now every year because of VAR. So yeah. they even looked for something with that Gonacho overhead kick. You know, they were checking something whilst the replays are going on. They had a bloody... Oh, man. I can't imagine if they'd ever overturned that. Anyway, moving on did from that. You, um, did either of you see the Sergio Ramos red card the other day? No. So this is it. This is a beauty just talking about VAR. So... Um, He's just flown in, Ramos style, um, smashed someone with a slide tackle, studs right down his ankle. And uh, in real time, it looked it looked like a bit of a bad tackle. The other players rolling about. Referee's given Ramos a yellow card. And Ramos is, uh, sorry, he's given him a yellow card, second yellow card, send him up with a red. Ramos is going mad at the referee, screaming at him, shouting, saying, look, go and look at VAR, go and look at VAR, it's a clean tackle. Goes over to look at VAR, slows it down, comes back, rescinds the second yellow card and changes it to a straight red. <laughs> <laughs> and the tackle's horrible as well. It's That's interesting. You know, funnily enough, it's, it's still showing as uh, a double yellow on uh, so red data. So that Weird. might catch people out there because straight red's three three matches, right? Yeah. He's yeah. studs up both feet. And yeah, he was the last man. Like, he could have got sent off for a multitude of things there. <laughs> they should give him three red cards for that. Yeah. 12 match ban. <laughs> Ramos is a nutcase anyway. Yeah. I always thought, though, like, like he was crap at PSG. He was. His, I can't believe Sevilla signed him. I thought he was done anyway. Um, oh, moving on from that. Yeah. So I, I threw this one in the works uh, based on a decision I made, and it was based on my one of my lineups this week as well. And we spoke about it briefly before the show, but I wanted to ask you guys when you think the best time to plan for next season in regards to America and Asia is, because yeah. I think it's, it's we're getting to that time of year now where people start thinking ahead and they start thinking, Oh, you know, I want to pick up an Asia lineup or America lineup for the upcoming season. When do you guys think is the sort of best time and what, what strategies would you look at when planning for that as well? Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. 
Sorry, Sorry David, you've been done so, over there. So loosely, and David already said this, I'd agree the answer's around now, really. So between now and probably mid-Jan. But what I would say with America, um, when we're saying America and when you're saying America, I think a lot of people think MLS straight away. Now, America in so rare terms actually comprises quite a few different leagues. So we've got a league at MX, which is still going at the minute uh, in the playoffs. There is Argentina, there's Brazil, and then there's a few other leagues with a couple of teams into likes of Peru, Chile, um, Colombia, etc. And then uh, Asia is J League and K League, basically at the moment. DSL a little bit. So, they are not, they're not covered teams, but there are one or two minute cars. There, Romulo the goat. He's yeah, a, China. yeah. We've got we've got the Chinese league as well, and then I guess we've got the uh, the Asian Champions League, which is um, again going on at the minute. Um, and then Canada has a break and starts again, I think, in about March or something, February, March. Anyway, so just going back to that, um, I think. You know, Liga MX doesn't have much of a break at all. It kind of plays nearly all year, really. Um, so back in January for that. So it, it'll have a mini dip in terms of card prices. And any players that aren't playing at the minute from those teams, it's a good time to pick them up. Um, MLS, I would say any time really from around now to probably yeah, about end of mid-end of Jan. But certainly the next six, six weeks is kind of... Um, you know, a good time in terms of card prices. And then, yeah, the same with Asia as well. Those leagues have started to come to an end, Japan and Korea. So, um, you know, again, now until about six weeks um, from now, maybe end of Jan um, is kind of the time to pick those guys up. In terms of strategies, I would say, um, you know, trying to find any players that are moving to any of those leagues is always a good strategy. So moving from Europe over there, Generally, you get a lot of, um, you know, even average European players tend to be quite um, OP in those leagues and um, they are always worth picking up. Um, and the same with South America as well. So if you can find any players that are going to any of the South American leagues, maybe from some of the bigger South American leagues like Argentina or Brazil, and they're going down to Peru or Chile or Ecuador, um, they usually do pretty well in terms of that move as well. Um, and yeah, that's about it for me. I would say just draw up a short, uh, you know, watch list on Sora Data, um, which is what I'm doing at the minute, and um, keep an eye on the prices, and then you know, try and uh, try and go in when you see a good opportunity. You've got a couple of uh, decent America cards in your gallery, haven't you? I know you got a Brunetta, um, yeah, got an Alvarado, I believe, as well. Yeah, I, who, him up I mean, I say decent. He's uh, falling off an absolute cliff. As he has. He's got lower actually since I bought him. I mean, I paid about five quid for his limit, and he's down to about two quid now. Yeah. But you know, I mean, the guy was unreal sort of three or four months ago. So, I mean, it's a strategy I try and do as well a lot. It, it is picking up players who are who I think are good players, but uh, are on a really bad run of form. I picked up um, Kevin Sandoval the other day, who's in Peru for like pennies, um, and again, he he's a really big scorer historically in that league. Um, so yeah, that's another strategy is trying to pick up guys who maybe were injured for parts of this season or, um, you know, have a bad run of form going into the end of the season and people don't not sort of automatically think of those players. Um, and you know, if you look historically at the scores, if not a lot's actually changed in the circumstances, 
there's a high chance they'll get back to that point at some point in the future and they're worth picking up again, I think. Do you think Forsberg will score well in the MLS? He's on my watch list. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, he's he's the sort of profile of player that I would expect does quite well. So, um, I mean, we've seen like last year, like um, Leuven go to St. Louis and, you know, if you look at him in the Bundesliga, he was a nothing player, really. Um, whereas Forsberg, although hasn't been playing that consistently last year or so, you know, he has been a pretty good player in that league. Um, he, he has every game Sweden. for Sweden still as well. Like he's yeah, still he's got a great goal. The other man last week. He scored a lovely goal last week for Sweden. So, yeah. and he's only like 32. And you think, look, if he's still doing that international level, I think he probably does do quite well out there. I'd say he's a bit of an interesting case where if uh, Red Bulls, New York Red Bulls scoring, their style of football doesn't really lend itself to particularly great AA scores. Um, Caceres, who I have, who who was a midfielder who came from and is now playing France, did score fairly well out uh, for them in uh, in a midfield role. But they're not fantastic scorers historically. Um, but equally, I, I kind of think you know if Tolkien moves on, which he's likely to do in the in the winter window, you know Forsberg's probably got a good chance of getting there. And being the number ten, being the man that all the play goes through, and also being on set pieces without talking. So well, the I expect is, he's does quite well out there. Yeah. Thing thing with with New York Red Bulls is that they've got so that they last year they signed Dan Savanzer, uh, who I actually think is a decent player and and can do really well in the uh, MLS. I think he he reminds me a little bit of Buxer from New England, who absolutely smashed. I think you have a player like that, and you have someone like Forsberg behind him, and all of a sudden now you've got a team that whose attacking output was pretty poor last year, whose attacking output now could could increase significantly. Um, David, you you have quite a decent gallery when it comes to America as well. Like, I know you've got a few decent America's pieces in your gallery, um, but I don't... Rem- like, I know you did really well over the summer. I remember you winning Mbappe. But I don't, I don't remember if you were a big America player, big Asia player over the summer. Um what do you think when it comes to the upcoming season and what are you going to are you gonna target anything? Are you going to plan anything? Well, for the last couple of years, I've won America rare more than any other tournament. Um, oh, there you go. I basically, the the key periods for me are sort of June, July or historically have been June, July. Obviously this year with the League's Cup, it's sort of mucked stuff up a bit and January. In January, because Mexico and Peru are the only two leagues on, so just for context, listeners, the, as the we roll into uh, 2024, the first league to kick off generally is Mexico, although they haven't released the dates yet, but normally that's first weekend of January. Then you've got Peru, um, Ecuador, I think, or Colombia, I can't remember which one, but they don't have any, uh, only have a couple of licensed clubs anyway. Then you get to the start of uh, February, where you have Argentina kicking off, and then these days, it's the end of February for the MLS. It used to be a lot later than that. So actually, their downtime now is actually, you know, it's pretty much like the European leagues, sort of, you know, eight weeks max, unless they got knocked out of the, uh, didn't make the playoffs. Um, so I try and plan around that and try and pick up cards for targeting that time type of the, the time, uh, time of the year. So I've got a pretty decent sort of Mexico stacks that I can run. I've got two rare Mexican keepers unlimited and stuff like that um, um i've got decent argentina cards 
MLS cards are the ones that actually I've bought less of recently because generally their defenders and keepers are shite. Although I have bought a few sort of back end of the season. I bought uh, Willis. Um, I think he probably stays at Nashville, but even if he doesn't, he'll get a decent landing spot. And um, the other guy, the guy that's taken over at uh, New York FC, um, I can't think of his name now. Takayoka? Something like that? Takahoma? Uh, no, it's not Barraza. Barraza is the guy that's lost the spot, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the guy that came from Philly. I'm literally drawing a blank. Oh, Blake. No? No. Blake. Uh, I know who you're on about as well. I do. Um, Joe Madden now. Freeze. Matt Freeze. Matt Freeze. There you yeah. go. So, yeah, I bought him as well, and he's now signed a, a long-term contract with uh, New York, and you can still pick him up pretty cheaply. I think he's a decent goalkeeper. He's certainly better than Barraza. Um, so, but I think keepers generally, it's better to get your keepers from uh, sort of South America. The trouble is that the Brazilian league, which historically has the lowest number of goals per game, doesn't now, it finishes sort of mid-December, but then it won't start again properly until sort of, I think, even end of April. April. Yeah. yeah, it's a long old slog. You might get some utility from the uh, Champions League down there, uh, or the Copa de, sorry, Copa de Libertadores or Copa de Sudamerica. But, um, you know, it's difficult with those guys. Um, I think that sort of buying an Argentina defensive stack and then buying where the most goals per game are, which is MLS, and buying players from there, so there are a couple of pieces which I'm not going to say right now that I do want to pick up over the the sort of the next month or so if I can, um, but I think now I was, I was saying question? similar. Yeah, I was saying similar as you wasn't I, David, the other day that that you know when I was playing rares and, and super rares last year, that was my strategy. Really, was was an Argentine defensive stack of a keeper and, mm -hmm. and defender. And then basically buying the DPs from the MLS. So the DPs are the um, are basically the the designated players, which are the highest quality players in the MLS. Um, and they're typically midfielders, attacking midfielders, and, and forwards. So um, you know, there's a huge selection you've got there of real top quality players that score very well in SO5. But yeah, I'd I'd agree with David that you know the MLS there's a hell of a lot of goals in that league. There's not really any strong defences. Philly, Philly are probably historically the best this defensive side of the last couple of seasons, but you know they're still not fantastic. Whereas if you go to the Argentine league, especially or Brazil, typically speaking, uh, you know you find really strong defenders and, and keepers there. Um, I mean Ryan this week had um, you know you had Newells with um, Hoyos and um, Velasquez and and you know. Just scored really well, and those guys at home. I mean, Newell's at home, for example, they just keep clean sheet after clean sheet nearly every game at home. Love um, those boys. Yeah, and you know they're they're one of many really. I mean, I've had, I think I've had defensive stacks from most of the Argentine sides over over the years, and um, and that's a really strong one at the minute. The Newell's one with uh, with Hoyos and. Uh, Velasquez. Velasquez. So. Yeah, they've yeah. they podiumed for me in the summer and uh, number fourth place now. I'm very happy with that. I think it really cracks me up if you look at them, like literally the overall rankings for all positions for all leagues on so rare, then like the top player is Jude Bellingham currently on an L um, L15 average. And he is going for his limited three day average is 190 quid. Then you've got Juan Brunetta, who unfortunately has just been knocked out of the Liga MX playoffs. And there's talk of him moving club. 
but he is, I guess, a little bit more of a risky buy, but definitely a buy, especially the Ford card. Then you've got Harry Kane, then you've got Grimaldo, and then you've got H Hector Herrera, who's 14 quid for his limited, 161 for his rare. He'll He's be so undervalued, man. Yeah. He's still got utility left this year because they got through. Um, so he's definitely got one more game and maybe two. And he's back in, what, eight weeks? I mean, he'd be bonkers not to buy that, surely. Yeah. I, I've, I've been like, I, I think I'm saying to you, there's a couple of cards that I'm keeping under my sleeve at the moment that I do want to pick up as well. Um but I yeah, just I doubted mate. you for a super rare Hector Herrera. <laughs> no, no. I I tell you what, I almost so I I had a choice at the start of the year of Hector Herrera or Joao Paulo as a super rare. I went with Joao Paulo, who, to be honest, Hector Herrera would have been a lot better scores wise. But towards the back end of the season, Joao Paulo's form has been next to, un, like like I can't I can't keep him out of a lineup at the minute. He's absolutely insane. I'm just hoping he brings it into this upcoming season. Dream so team would have both. Yeah, his last his last sort of um out of his last four games, he's had fifty AA, thirty-five AA, thirteen AA, fifty-one AA. Like if he keeps up these scores, I'd be absolutely buzzing, but we'll we'll sort of see. But he's always a really nice, consistent player, you know, can get a sixty seventy really easily. But I do wish I'd have got Hector Herrera for the same prize back then. Um But with that Asia's are slightly different, isn't it? It's a little bit more tricky there, just because like I like the J League card, but I've always had a little bit of a fondness for the K League cards. But it just annoys me having to wait for the the like the AA to come through. Yeah, um, and the, and, the, and the worry is that he doesn't come through in time and stuff like that as well. So it's like, yeah, that is a that's a weird one for me with the J. I I, I quite like the J League now because they they put a lot of their their games on YouTube. So yeah, like, same. I've really enjoyed watching Sam Freke and Kawasaki. They're my two teams now, and I think. Um, I have a San Freke defensive stack now of Sasaki and Shiatani and Asako, and I'd love to upgrade my Sasaki to a super rare Sasaki. Um, I've got a full Kawasaki Frontale stack now as well, so I quite I quite enjoy those games actually. I, I, I never used to. I know I was I was always one of those people, one of those players on Sarah's like I don't care about Asia, don't care. But now I actually, in fact, for the last few weeks I've been playing Asia to try and win a few more cards in preparation for the upcoming season as well. I quite um, like it when you wake up in the morning and there's a game on in like you know if I wake up at. 10 or whatever and there's a game just about to kick off it's like cool i'll just flick that on and watch a bit of j league one of my favorite good football to watch as well i find both j and the k leagues it's not you know if you've never watched it before um the quality is actually pretty decent isn't it one it's good favorite... most of the sides play you don't get a lot of teams just sort of punting it long and stuff it's um you know most of the, the better teams try and play football don't they yeah they do yeah yeah so one of my favorite things is uh you're waking up and uh, the view the, the listeners won't be able to see this but I'll show you on a uh, on the camera if it'll focus. Oh yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. When you've got a stack going in in J League and it goes right, you just wake up to about eight notifications or so red data. Um, and if you've I'm got quite a good big stack, fan of that, maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, Kawasaki Frontale, mate, they are love them. I think for me with America, what I what I'm gonna do is there are a couple of super rares I want to pick up, and I, I, I might let you guys know in the chat who I'm looking to pick up at. Uh, at some point um but yeah there's a couple of super rares i'd like to pick up and then i think what i might do is whoever i win because i'm almost guaranteed a goalkeeper from the from this week i might use as my main goalie next year and pick up a defender from that team if 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 it's feasible um we'll sort of see where we go from there but yeah i mean i'm quite i'm, I'm quite excited i think the apple tv partnership as well made mls a lot more exciting for me too 
yeah definitely got a lot better as well like yeah like turning off the spoilers it really wound me up when i got up in the morning and i hadn't watched the games and i really wanted to at least watch extended highlights of some of the games and as soon as you opened the mls app it had the score on the fucking tile it's like fuck you i don't want to know the score and then yeah. trying to trying to find the right game while covering the bloody yeah. screen. Like, Fuck off! But now you can turn off spoilers, so it's good. I do think the coverage is good when I've watched it. Oh, it's um, great! It's absolutely fantastic. And, and you know the the shows that they have and Bradley Wright Phillips and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's it's a good panel and whatnot they have of pundits. But I think for me, what they've messed up is last year the the kickoff times were a lot more friendly for European audience. Oh, and they were quite staggered. So you used to get like an early one on like Saturday tea time, like six, seven o'clock. Um, you get one on a Sunday night at sort of 9 p.m. Um, and then even some of the, the ones on like a Saturday night or, or Sunday night, you'd have some of the earlier ones on at like half 11. Whereas now they all tend to be sort of, what is it, half 12, one o'clock kickoffs, most of them. Um, and then some of them sort of in the middle of the night as well. So yes, I think the European... As a European viewer, it's a lot harder to kind of, um, you know. I know you guys stay up late, but um, as a ma- as a man with uh, you know a family and responsibilities and whatnot, it's a lot harder. So can't, can't relate. <laughs> I wake up at, I wake up too late for the show sometimes. So you know, blame that on EMLS. Um, you guys want to talk about a topic? Uh, and I'm going to let you guys take the range of this one because uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say first. But you said about. There's been a lot of talk about people looking for ways that Serra can bring down scores. Yeah, I think we've had a couple of comments on various sort of threads that we put out over the sort of last few days, and a few people like honestly, you know, we have big like we're at the the pinnacle of the season where we're going to have big scores because all of the big leagues are playing, you know, and that that will die down over the next month. But I do think that there are things that perhaps so rare can do to maybe sort of limit them spiraling out of control you know and like that there's so many people these days that put so little thought into it and literally buy a, a buying stack or a city stack run the stack and if all the players play then you know maybe they get like 500 and there you go job's good and, and you know there was a couple of things of people talking about is it sort of sustainable to have that because you know it's quite off-putting as sort of a newer user i remember when i started and people were scoring 400 at the time and i was you know with my cards getting like close to 300 and feeling happy with it and thinking is that you know absolutely no way i can sort of reach sort of the pinnacle of the game and so i imagine that it's sort of 10 times worse now with more users you know unlimited which you know in theory even on a a relatively modest budget you could fire by an absolute smasher team so you know it's quite interesting to sort of try and work out who you know or what so rare if anything could potentially do i'm not saying i think they should do this but i think one thing that me and chris spoke about briefly was uh running i think it was um fbl thinker actually on um twitter that actually sort of brought this up oh no was it fbl twitter uh, sorry fbl thinker he brought up another point but there was one you know where we potentially could sort of see all of the regions have a cap 270 limit limit um, and then just all-star being sort of the final pinnacle for running you know whatever the hell you want uh, but within those regions it would be a 270 limit but the captain would just get the 20. what do you think chris 
Right, wait a second, guys, because Mitrovic isn't in the starting lineup for Al Hilal. I've just spotted it. He's he on is. the bench. We can chase him in quickly. He is in the lineup. No, he's not. He's on the bench. Oh, how long have we got left until lock? Seven minutes. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Get some live stress on there. Um, I can't even remember what team I bloody got him in. It's on my 220. I need to change it quick. Uh, right, do I go? Go Neymar. He'll definitely play. Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't got very good options compared to Mitrovic. Shit. Hang on. Let's try this. What are your thoughts on this anyway, uh, Haber? Would you be opposed to something like that? Yes. Given this, the... the, the I, I've kind of almost forgot a little bit because now I'm thinking about Mitrovic. So You don't even own Mitrovic. I know. I, I, don't, I don't know. For some reason, I'm panicking now. I, I literally started looking at my lineups like, I need to take him out. I don't even have him. I can um, see Chris like looking around and wonder what he's looking for. I thought he was having a stroke or something. Panic, mate. Panic. I'm trying to work out what to do. It's throwing me off now. Why? Why do I? Why do I? Why am I trying to take Mitrovic out of my lineup so he's not even in there? Um, <laughs> so, so the question was: Captain modes everywhere bar all star. Well, no, that was the idea that we had, but yeah. uh, the comments were: Should so rare do something to bring down the scores? Should they do something? Uh, I'm kind of against it. I mean, I didn't even mind the fitness thing, to be honest. I, I'm not. I, I don't mind scores being high. I think the bigger problem that comes with this, I don't think new users care about scores being high either. Realistically, when I, when I first came into Sora a couple of years ago, um, like you were looking at sort of 450 to win a division, right? Like that was a lot of points. That's still a lot of points to score. You, that's a really good fucking game week to get 450 points. And that didn't put me off. I wasn't sat there like, Oh, I don't want to play now. Cause my, my 380 points only got me a tier four or whatever. I think a lot of people have this idea that like, it used to be easier. I just didn't. You just know more now that you didn't know then. And you don't put that, you don't like, it doesn't work as well now because everyone else knows that now. Like if you'd have known to put certain players together a couple of years ago, you'd have been sweeping up divisions like PSG fans was, but like you didn't, you know what I mean? Like, so I think a lot of people have this idea that um, it used to be easier, which I disagree with. And also I think there's also this idea on the sentiment that like a lot of people get upset if they don't win a tier one or higher sometimes back in the day, it used to be tier one, two and three and a tier one was effectively a tier two now because that's just how they reshuffled the tier system. So a lot of people get upset when they get sort of 450 points, 440. I mean, i got 440 points in, in champion Europe, right. For a tier two. And a lot of people are, oh, you know, scoring that high for a tier two is ridiculous. Well, no, because a tier two is still like that tier two will still be worth two, three, 400 quid. Like, so it's still a lot like that's how much the tier ones were worth back when you were winning the tier one for that amount of points. So for me, I don't think they should do something to bring the scores down personally. Um, I don't think they should. I think I think it's fine how it is. I think people need to curb their expectations. But if they if they were to do that, they could just bin off XP completely. Like, I mean, they, they could they could have it so it's a flat 20% for super rares, it's a flat 20% for the captain. Um flat whatever it is i think it's what 40 percent for a unique i don't even know i don't have it. i don't own any uniques but like they have it flat they don't have season xp they don't have collection xp they don't have all this xp they just have the flat bonuses for for certain things rares get a zero percent bonus limits get zero percent bonus and it's just their raw scores that would bring scores down completely um but yeah i don't know i think a lot of people that uh, <laughs> i think too many people want so rare to be 
easy. Do you know what I mean? I think that's where a lot work, of exactly. I think this is where a lot of these like a lot of these sort of talking topics come from within the communities. People that are just that they think it's too hard, and it's just it's just it is hard, but it's supposed to be harder. Like th this is the thing. Like you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't want prices to go up, them to reward less cards, but also it be easier for you. And so, how are your cards going to go up in price? Then reward less cards. The supply get lower, the demand get higher, but also it get easier for you. These things don't go together. Like you can't have all of those at the same time. So I think a large thing is, and it might sound a bit mean, but it's just people either being entitled or their expectations being completely off. What do you think, Chris? I think there's an element of what Ryan said that is true. Um, I think that I think in the past, I think you know, longer term users, I think the game was probably too easy at points in the past. I think it was, you know, back in the day when we had all-star rare and the threshold was in there, it was pretty easy to hit, um, you know, hit the threshold every week. And there was a lower one as well. Um, and, you know, it, it didn't work long-term for the game because, you know, we know that there was a lot of youth at that time who would just have that one team churn the threshold every week and, you know, it, it, it was far too good an ROI that, that people were making. Um, my own view is that one of the reasons that prices have fallen so much in the last year is because, you know, it is so much harder to hit threshold. So the ROI of, of you know, of the game is, is a lot lower than it once was a year or two back. Not the I think it's easier to hit it now. Now they've got the, you know, the, the actual limit is lower and you can play yeah. captain archie think it's easier to hit no it's it's harder than when it was when it was 205 and 250 about a year ago yeah but they were never going to keep it though. it was always going to change i was no, yeah but from that point i suppose from the from december last year when we had the kind of the new you know it's only a year really since we've had the new system in place the 240 threshold and the all-star rare as it was 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 done away with um you know, I do think that, that, you know, the whole point of moving to the 240 cap was that it is harder. You need to have a bigger pool of players because you need to fit within a hard cap every week. So you need to build out a lot more depth. And, you know, it, there's not a, a fallback option of a second threshold. Um, you know, and the scores are higher that you need to get anyway to, to beat the game in that mode. So it, it's certainly higher than it is. I mean, I don't think it's the, the chief reason for prices dropping, but I think it's certainly a factor. Um, but you know, it's changed. It changed my strategy of saying, "Look, I can't have a gallery of twenty-five players anymore. I need a lot of depth," and and that's one of the reasons that I went down the road that I did. But um, you know, going back to kind of the original um, question about is so rare hard? Is it is it too hard and all that? Um, it is harder than it used to be, definitely. If someone who's played it for a few years, but that comes with increased competition um, and sort of you know making the rules slightly more difficult in the competitions that, that we enter. So there's more users than there were two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. And I think, you know, the the further back you go, the easier the game was. And and if you look at the scores historically, you didn't need very big scores to win to win good rewards. But the skill level went up as well with players. I mean when I first started playing the DFS guys weren't here. The you know the guys from a, from the states weren't really playing. The likes of PSU and you know and Laird and Gator guy and whatnot. 
and they brought over strategies from from the you know DraftKings and the games that they play that are easy to replicate and so rare. I mean, stacking five man teams wasn't really a thing that was done that often three years ago. Whereas now it's commonplace and and it's something that you know a heck of a lot of users now do and. You know, as we've touched on before, perhaps is is something that's an ease of use thing. I think that I mean, my my personal opinion is that some of the competitions maybe do need a bit of a refresh. I like what they've done with the cap modes the last few years. I like the the monthly and long form comps that they have at the moment, but I do think that the regionals and whatnot are um, you know they haven't really had any change over the last couple of years. They've just been left alone, and and, and as has All Star. Um, I enjoy the cap modes. I think it's uh, um, something that, you know, helps everybody. So I think it helps so rare because I think you need to have a broader gallery and a lot more depth in your gallery to, to play those modes each week, um, whether that's by dipping in and out of the market and buying new players as and when that you need to, or just by building depth out. So you've just, you know, got those players in the gallery already. Um, and it's, you know, I do think I, I I I know I have this thing that people think I hate stacking. I don't hate stacking, but I think it's gone from you know being something that was there was competitions where it was kind of restricted and in a specialist and underdog and things in the past, um, and now it's just a you know open season to to play any card any any way you want, and I'd quite like there to be some more restrictive competitions in place. So I, I do think that having a hard cap on the regions of, of 270 or 300 or whatever it is would be would be quite um, good to see. And I would like to see some stacking requirements there as well, whether that's you know a max of two or three cards per team, I don't know. Um, but I'd like I'd like <clears throat> I'd like to see that in the regions. Um, I think all star needs to stay as it is. I think there needs to be a mode which is just a complete free for all where you can play your best cards and you know it, it's the kind of premium competition and it's, you know I think there could be a, a stacking only competition as well where you have to have a certain you know uh, either that you have to play five players in there or that you, your players have to have a st- certain collection score to enter um, that division um, like, um, like if you've noticed all the new tournaments they've introduced over the last year have all been capped to every new tournament, whether that be specialists, yeah, the the amateur tournaments, whether it comes up through the you know two two twenty to seventy two, so you know I think that any new tournaments introduced are likely to be capped. Even the Premier League obviously is capped. I just don't know whether they'll change the regions. And yeah, I anyway. I also I think uh, just on that stacking point, I think it. I don't think they can ever do that. Unfortunately, I mean. They've created this game now and angled it to a point where they've made collections so significant that if they then said, right, you can't stack, why do I own a collection then? Why why do they go out and buy uh, 27 Man United players if I can't play five of them in the same lineup? I think the, the, the for me as well, from my experience this year especially, I never I never full stacked before and I decided to full stack a couple of teams this year. It's actually quite suboptimal. It's very rare you get the five nils and things like that where you actually get a five-man stack that slaps so hard you can go and win a top-tier reward with it. I think the actual optimal thing to do is to run a defensive stack, offensive stack, or even just running five really good players 
um, just from my experience. I think the only issue is, is that when a five-man stack slaps like that, it gets pushed everywhere. Everyone talks about it. Every, like the person that wins with it shows it, like flexes it, shows it off. Everyone's retweeting it. And like, and then we get this like, oh, we need to ban these stacks. But it's, we don't really have the the 2021 Ajax stacks or the the old Celtic stacks and those kind of stacks where they genuinely win multiple by multiple goals every single week now. So I don't know if it's uh, uh, really that big a problem anymore. You know, I, don't think, I don't think I want to do away with stacks, uh, you know, that, in, in competitions. I just think that there should be maybe a realignment of the, the rules in competition so that the, there's competitions which allow full stacks like All-Star and, and like, a, you know, a collections-only comp or stacking-only comp or something like that. And then maybe just some more restrictions in the region. So I'm just talking here like... You know, say with your buy-in stack, maybe you have a, a some you know some rules around it in in Champ Europe, but in All Star you want to play them there. Maybe in um, you know, a, like I say, a collections division you want to play them there. Um, so I think that it's it's having a balance of saying, look, you're right, you can't just completely say we're banning stacks from everywhere, and I think that would be ridiculous. But I just think that perhaps in the in the regions, it might be worth looking at uh, having kind of some some harder rules to, to kind of create it as, as a bit more of a kind of skill-based competition rather than just, um, you know, slapping the best team team in there every week. Maybe that isn't around stacking. Maybe it's just having a cap, you know, yeah, like they've done in the league. Because like yeah. that then means you can't then play, you know, a full top like Man City or Bayern stack because it wouldn't fit. Yeah, exactly. You can play like there are other players within those teams that you could fit around them. You just can't play the obvious ones. So you have to think a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah, it's just just a bit more skill based. I mean, it's look if you look at the Premier League Winter Cup comp, that that is a two seventy hard cap across all scarcities, but there's no stacking, you know, requirements or, or anything like that or restrictions. So. Um, yeah, like you say, you know, a lot of the new competitions seem to have that 270 cap typically. They do at limited level as well for all of the, the uh, big five league competitions. So, yeah, maybe maybe it is just going down that road and having that, that 270 cap. And uh, like you say, that would just organically lead to, to less full stacks anyway, wouldn't it? With, because it's it's just not possible to run the five best players from, from one team in that division. Yeah. I think I think for me there I'm gonna I'm gonna have to agree to disagree with you guys on that one because uh, I play a lot of regionals and I don't want a cap, please. I'd like to play all my seventy L fifteen players in there when when they're not in All Star as a as a mini whale. We had a lot a lot of questions on that same thread that we put out. I think it was the the uh, giveaway which I'll announce later on this yeah. afternoon. And there was a lot of people asking, you know, how to move from limited to rare. But we've we've spoken. Oh, I'm about so that. bored of those conversations, man. So oh, we've bored spoken of those about it twice recently, with it literally within the last six weeks. So I don't think we'll cover that this week. Uh, we will cover it again. Maybe we'll do it nearer to Christmas or after Christmas. But you know, literally, there's so many. I think I'm ill that week that we cover that. Yeah, or you oversleep again. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, but we'll cover other stuff next week and. Also for the capped stuff as well, like we've spoken about cap two forty, we've spoken about cap two twenty and two seventy in the last sort of you know eight weeks as well. So yeah. you know some of the strategies there, like you know, to, you can try and find with two twenties, like trying to find that cap zero player 
or going balanced. Those are literally the two options, you know, and then you're just looking for players that are going to overperform against that. So there is a lot of luck, but there's also a bit of skill in scouting and stuff like that. But should we move, move on to uh, yeah, we got, questions? Yeah, we got some fun questions this week. Um, some ones that I think, like like those topics you just talked about, I think are, are so over-talked about at the moment. Like the, the last sort of eight to ten weeks have been, I feel in the community, have been really hyper-focused on one or two topics. So let's fucking bin them off and, and ask... An important question. What are the most important questions you can ask in the Surrey community? What's your favourite biscuit, lads? We'll let the northerner get his uh, northern muck out. God. And then we'll talk about the real, keeping it real biscuits. Yeah. Yeah, there was a suggestion of hobnobs. I mean, I think the plain chocolate hobnobs are pretty elite. So uh, I think that's a good suggestion. I'll tell you what I do like. I like those, um, I think they're called like Choco Libins biscuits. You know, like the sort of rectangle ones. Thick, thick chocolate, like really thick. And then a little bit of biscuit underneath. You're not familiar with those, Ryan, are you? You're just shaking your head at me, going, "What is this guy talking I, about?" David knows. I am shaking my head. I have no idea. I have no clue what you're on about. David, you know those, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, they, they, they wouldn't rank anywhere near on my. Uh, Very good biscuit. They wouldn't rank on my list, but yeah. Go on then, David. So, what, what's your top three then? <sighs> Oh, you've had 24 hours to think about it. I've eaten 24 different biscuits in 24 hours. <laughs> got one of those tins, you know, that you end up, your nan puts her fucking sewing shit in. I've got one of those with biscuits in this time to go and test them all out. All right, I'll, I'll hit you in mine then, start off with, when you're fannying around. So it's a bit of a difficult one. Like, with my diet, like, I have to be careful with what I eat. And my diet is a low-residue, low-fibre diet. And basically, everything that's good for real people is bad for me, like salads and stuff like that. Although I love salads, I can't have them anymore. And everything that's bad for you, highly processed food and crap like that, is the stuff I need to eat because it's easier for my bowel to sort of like chew down. So I do eat a lot of crap. Biscuits wise, though, and like my all time favourite is ideally like a freshly made one, but I'll take the MS ones as well, is a white chocolate chip cookie. I'm an absolute homer for white chocolate. I'm not into like like dark chocolate. You can fuck off. Oh. Milk oh, chocolate. Oh, no, 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 no. Dark, dark chocolate. chocolate is horrific. No, milk, dark, dark chocolate can right. fuck right off. Dark milk chocolate, chocolate can do one. White no, I like milk chocolate. I don't mind milk, but, you know, white chocolate's where it's at. So freshly Isn't made Marks and Spencer's white chocolate cookie, or if we're being like having to go off the shelf ones, then they do little packs as well. It has to be M&S. My second You're a man with a sweet tooth, though, aren't you? I mean, you drink about twenty gallons of diet coke a week, don't you? Is it? I do, but it's diet coke. It's literally got no sugar in it, and I'm well, like, I open bottles sweet. when I get them. I'm weird as fuck with diet coke. I have to open the bottles to let it go flat for twenty four hours. I like flat diet coke. But anyway, my second second uh, number two on uh, my uh, biscuits is a good old jammy dodger. I love a bit of shortbread. I love a bit of jam. Oh, he has got some right up in front of him. Lovely, jubbly. I like to keep a pack on the desk. And you nice. know what? Like like your Diet Coke thing, I'm a weirdo with jammy dodges. I have to open the packet and let them go soft. I know, yeah. I do exactly the same. Yeah, they're yeah. much better than... They're Way a bit humbly, like, short-bready then, aren't they? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And the final one on my hit list, and you'll spot a theme here, that I'm literally a big kid, is party rings. No. I love them. They're no. like short, like short-bread sort of biscuity. Just with a little like thin coat of icing on the top. I love putting a load of them in a bowl 
smashing them down with my fist and then eating like crumbs of them over like a you know half an hour. So I've got they're, they're my thoughts. You won't change my mind, but I mean, fair enough. Can, can um, you give me anything that like might persuade me to even try? I think we're we're on a similar similar level with, with a couple of mine. So my in terms of cookies. What I love is the Cadbury's dairy milk cookies. They, like, you know, a Tesco or an Asda or whatever, they're always nice and soft and gooey. And, like, the chocolate's always perfect in them as well. So I do like those. Although I do, I, I you know, I'm partial to Morrison's white chocolate cookie as well. Morrison's do a very good white chocolate cookie. But for me, when it comes to cookies, they have to be soft. I hate, yeah. I hate crunchy cookies. They have to be soft. Jammy Dodgers are up there as well for me, absolutely. Um, I do love, I really do love a nice shortbread butter, so, yeah. butter, butter Agreed, shortbread yeah. biscuit and it's basic but like nice little sugar dusting on top yeah. i am partial to a good shortbread i think it's like you know it's it's up there it's a bit basic but i you know they're they're my three i think that i'd go for I think shortbread's good you know nice tin of shortbread for christmas yeah yeah, yeah yeah i love the oh, one, one where you can literally taste the the butter and the calories as yeah you yeah as you can see i shop a lot of marks and spencers <laughs> no i so, you know I, i'm actually really you'll be jealous about this right i've got a 24 hour marks and spencers down the road from me because it's in a garage and the garage is open 24 hours yeah. so the only 24 hour shop around me used to when i when i lived up in uh runcorn near liverpool it used to be uh i used to have a, like a boss man shop you know like a corner shop uh that was open 24 hours but now it's a marks and spencers so i'll go there i'll get like a I love their their pizzas. I love their uh their like microwave meals as well. They do as well. Marks is really good. So I'm blessed. Nice. So what, what about you? So literally, you've gone on about hobnobs for five, a couple of minutes. <laughs> I don't really have a top three. I'm trying. I don't eat enough biscuits to be fair. But if you go to the supermarket, short, shortbread, shortbread. I never buy biscuits. I'm too hungry. Well, I would have put money on you, you giving yourself like a digestive so you can dunk it in your tea. <laughs> <laughs> do love a good dunk digestive are plain, you right okay plain chocolate digestives plain chocolate hobnobs and shortbread there you go all right fair <laughs> enough all right that's probably the most we've had on the show so far i liked uh i liked a so rare related question as well from tommy turtle who said how many lineups would you be prepared to miss out on slash not submit to put out a really strong lineup and i think so i think what he means there is like would you rather put out three lineups or one strong lineup? Like, how many lineups would it take before you're like, okay, I want to put out that many lineups rather than rather than one super strong one? And for me, I think when you get more than th when when I'm missing out on three lineups or more, then I'm like, okay, I'm I'd rather kind of spread them across. But I don't mind I don't mind missing out like three is my limit. Like, I'd rather put out a like an insanely strong all star rare plus than three meh lineups. If you know what I mean, that's really? that's for me. For me, it's slightly different because at the moment, and definitely over the sort of probably the next month or so until Liga MX kicks back off, capped will be my priority. So with capped, you can't really just put in whoever you want. So I'll go in, I'll do 240, 270, and a 220, and I'll put the best lineups I think I can put into those three line into those three uh, teams across limited and rare, and then. I've generally got enough pieces to run pretty good lineups, but I'll have a look at the reward pools in terms of number of rewards and like the quality of the reward. And then I'll decide after that which ones I want to target. You know, I guess I'm in a fortunate position now that, you know, I've got an absurd amount of cards, so I can run teams. But yeah, it's still, it's still like, you know, once I've done the cap stuff, 
it's trying to work out where I want to play my best teams. What about you, Chris? I'd swap all my shitty 10 lineups every week for one good one. <laughs> oh. I'd, uh, yeah, I probably would, to be fair. I mean, if it was one that was going to win me a tier one up, I mean, I don't often win. I can't remember last time I won a tier one. So, uh, you know, I'd probably, I'd probably trade them all for one elite lineup. That's fair enough. I think this one kind of bodes well with the, with the previous question from Bookfast Wine FC. He says, list in order which competitions you target. He says, I feel I could be spreading my players thin sometimes instead of focusing on a few decent competitions and I keep farming coins in the hope that something decent comes up in the shop. Then again, I'm not a bot, so I may never get to spend those coins. Yeah, we'll see if so I change that. But in order of competitions, I guess I'll go first. I, I go, I, I, mine's interesting actually at the moment. So I go All-Star Rare Plus, Champion Europe Rare Plus, Challenger Europe Rare Plus, Champion America Rare Plus, Champion Asia Rare Plus. Then I'll go Cap 270, Cap 240 it, with both Super Rare and Rare. Then I'll go All-Star Rare, Challenger Rare, America Rare, Asia Rare, and so on and so forth down the line until I've, I've run out of players, basically. But I, I, don't, I don't have All-Star Rare as a priority for myself at the moment. I like to prioritize regional comps because my sort of strategy changed in the last month, month and a half, two months, where I'm I'm trying to almost increase my yield across competitions to then churn out more cards to put into more competitions, if that makes sense. I've seen this week where I've got like America, Challenger, Champion, all these different competitions winning rewards. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to I'm trying to win more cards, basically, rather than sort of hyper-focusing one or two competitions to win cards, high-level cards there. David, you if you're playing Caps, what's your what's your priority at the moment? 270, because I think I've got enough depth to do 240, regardless of what I put into 270. And obviously in 270, you can run sort of high cap players anyway. Uh, mm. So I'd probably right now go 270, 220, 240. But That's I reckon I could run three strong line. It's been all of those. You know, it, it just like the regions at the moment, they do have high scores, but they have high scores because all of the leagues are playing, all of the best teams are playing. You know, th that won't be the case sort of in January when the Bundesliga is broken up and... You know, America, most of America isn't playing yet. The scores are lower at certain times of the year. So, you know, if you haven't got the gallery to go out and spend, you haven't got the money to go out and spend, you know, 20 grand on building like baller teams and like for rare and limited, then pick a time of the year to target. And for me, January was the one that kick-started, you know, running, sorry, Asia started it, but then America in January has always been a time that's I've won a tournament or two, so... Yeah, it's interesting. I've just seen. Sorry to 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 sort of pan away from that. I will come and ask you ask you in a second, Chris. But I've just seen the MLS eleven has been named. Would you like to hear it? Yeah, go on. Then. So in goal, it's Romain Berkey. Yeah. The they've gone with a three defensive, five midfield, three attacking line. So the three defenders are Zimmerman, Miazga from Cincinnati, and Parker from St. Louis. I think it's Tim Tim Parker. I think. Yeah, that's a bit the, weird. There's about three or four defenders I would have gone with over him. But yeah, I think it, Miazga, to be done well. He's literally changed the Cincinnati back line. You know, since he came in, they've been so much, so much uh, more solid. Yeah, and Zimmerman's always a good shout. Although they don't necessarily. I don't think I'd put him in you. there. Yeah, um, midfielders: uh, Lucho Acosta. I think that's fair. Hector Herrera deserved. Almada deserved. Hani Mukhtar. I think, to be honest, has had a very average, if not poor season especially for his standards i really don't think he deserves to, a spot there at all no it feels like a sort of legacy pick doesn't it they've thrown him in they can't not have him in the team after winning player of the year last year 
I don't get it as well. I mean, for me, I mean, like Ryan Gould. it's Ryan Gould, isn't it? Well, so the three forwards are Cucho Hernandez. I think that's yeah. fair enough. Danny Bawanga, yeah. fair play. Jacu Makis is the third forward. He's pretty good, to be fair. He's been okay. Yeah. But I would, I would have Gould in midfield over Mukhtar, definitely. Well, who's the final midfielder? That was the foot. Uh, oh, wait. You've given us three. four so far. Oh no! Yeah, that that was it. That was it. Was three, yeah, three, Ryan, four, three. Ryan Gould was probably the one. Three, four, three, not three, five, three. Midfield. I'm an idiot. Or I like. I mean, I was saying Espinosa. I always like as well, but um, he's kind of he goes through mad runs of form and then he's useless for about three, three or four games. But um, you know, I think he's been good this year, Espinosa. Uh, what about Ricky? Ricky Puge. Yeah, mm, he was decent. Do you know? I think shockingly, yeah. I think for me. The two players that deserve to be in there over Berkey and Parker or Berkey and Zimmerman. For me, I think Yaimar and Frey from Seattle Sounders, they had the record for clean sheets this year. Le- okay. Least goals conceded across the league as well. And it surprises me. I-, I wouldn't put any of the Sounders players in there. You know, I wouldn't put Paolo in there. I wouldn't put Morris in there or anyone like that. But I definitely would have at least one of them in there. I think Hani Mukhtar should be out of there. I think Carlos Heel deserves to be in there for me. He's had a, he's had a very good season numbers-wise. Um, I'm surprised that Carlos Hill did not make it in there. To be honest, Kai, I, Wagner. Kai Wagner, absolutely. I think do you, I, I actually think Kai Wagner would be in there if it wasn't for that racist comment he made to Bobby Wood. I reckon he probably came, he probably got taken out of the squad for that. I imagine, given the fact he probably leaves in January as well, I I, I imagine they just want to distance himself away if they can from from him. Um, but yeah, I was quite surprised at that. I just I you know. saw uh, you saw um, uh. Lucho Acosta won the Player of the Year, didn't he, last night? He did, yeah. I, I, I he see it. He ill-fitting suit jacket as well. <laughs> like his big brother's suit jacket. It's funny, the graphic, I'll put the graphic in the chat real quick so you can see what I'm looking at. But the graphic actually has him at, at, at huge, like life-size for him. The rest of them are obviously like, you know, they've been they've been resized, but that's actually just a normal-sized <laughs> Lucho Acosta. <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. Um, no, I think I think there's a few really fair shouts in there, but for me, the MLS is like a lot of the time it, they don't do those based on footballing things. They do it based on just like you know names and and things like that. Like who's who's been the biggest name there? I mean, yeah, I don't know, but I to be honest, I, I tell you, obviously he didn't start starting until midway through the season. But if he has another season next season, like he has, Griffin Dorsey will be in there. What a player he is. Um, back to the question though, Chris, what's your what's your priority in terms of lineups? I've forgotten there was a question still. Um, went off on a bit of a tangent then, didn't we? Um, so my answer is it depends from one week to another, depending on where my strength of players are and which lineup I can fit them into. So if I if I look one week and go, right, I've got a, a batch of U23 players that are really strong, then that becomes much higher up in my priority list. Um, same with Challenger, same with Champ Europe, etc. And I won't even play those competitions if I don't think... I've got, you know, good strength there. Um, typically speaking, though, um, I probably start with 240. I want that to be pretty strong every week. Um, and at the moment, I'm char- I'm targeting the 220 pretty high. So I would say 220s maybe even um, number one in my in my list while this competition is going. And then, yeah, then so I'd go probably 240, 220, and then possibly U23 because... Obviously, it's a different pool of players, and only certain players fit in there. So, if that lineup can fit that week, I, I go quite quickly in there. And then two seventy and all star are quite equal. Um, again, just depending on what fits. If I've got a real standout captain pick, I quite often like two seventy. But yeah, it's just kind of what I can fit together out of them. And then I just 
fill all the regionals after that, really. Yep, I think that's fair. I think I think there is definitely some game weeks where your priorities can can definitely shift as well based on matchups. I mean, this this game week, for example, my my priorities shifted a little bit. I actually prioritized Champion Europe over All Star this week just because of Champion Europe matchups. I thought if I put the if I my best matchups were all Champion Europe, if I put them in there, then I can play another strong lineup in All Star. But if I if I played like all of them in All Star, then I couldn't play like Icardi, for example, in All Star. So we'll do one more question. Uh, where was it? I just lost it now. There's no just um, sort of breaking slowly today has been that Allison will be out for potentially a month, although that hasn't been confirmation from the club yet. But I'm quite happy that I picked up uh, Kelleher rare. Yeah, that would be a great pickup now as well. What kind of matchups have you got going on for? Uh, yeah, we've got a few for... good ones. Yeah. Let's have a quick look. You are playing. There's a few toughies, but yeah, we've got enough games over that period that where it could be quite useful. But anyway, yeah, sorry. Fulham at home. Fulham, Sheffield United. You get a good good utility there for sure. Um. Yeah. So the last question we'll ask. Um. Should it's from it's from Hot Corner so rare who said, should SO five competition deadlines function like rivals? It would eliminate DMPs if you could edit your lineups until a couple of minutes before kickoff. If you had to lock your American fantasy football lineup two days before the games, people would riot. And I, to be fair, I remember Trippin B put something in one of the discords we're in about this, and I was a bit mean to him actually. So apologies, Trippin B. Uh, I I may have called him brain dead. I'm I'm massively against this. I'm massively against rolling locks. I think that a lot of people that want rolling locks, I think the idea of eliminating DMPs is obviously great, but I think people don't typically think it through fully when it comes to rolling locks. Um, I think there are a lot of cons that people haven't even thought through. I mean. Could you imagine if you could edit your lineups, right? Your goalkeeper starts on a Friday. He drops an 80-pointer, right? Then all of a sudden, you can then edit it so that you wait and see who plays the early kickoff on a on a Saturday. And you play that whoever on a Saturday because you know they're starting. Or you wait until or until the buy-in lineups are in. And then you can play you can play Kim if he's starting. If he was questionable before and he's against Onion Blin at home, for example. Or Harry Kane maybe had an injury and you didn't know if he's going to play like... I think all of a sudden then you talk about points getting high. If you could edit, if, if you remove DMPs completely from the game, points would just be astronomical. You, you'd start seeing so many more lineups like this because I think a large reason why points aren't so high now as they could be is because there are risks. There obviously people, you don't know who's going to start. Uh, matchups can dictate certain things as well. So I think, yeah, I, I'm personally massively against it. I think it works great for rivals, but I would not have rolling locks across the entire platform. I think it'd kill the platform. I mean, from from a selfish point of view, I disagree with you. I think I would love it because I would win loads more. I'd literally yeah. DMP in maybe 10 decent lineups where if I'd managed to put a guy in there that even scored like 60, 50 or 60 or something like that, that I would have probably picked up loads of tier twos this weekend because well, I've got a massive, you know, I've got a big enough gallery to do that. Um, and I'm not even like the worst. The worst people would be like the Uber whales, like yeah, pranksy and people like that. Yeah, they uh, clean up. They absolutely. That's you. why they kill the platform, in my opinion. They absolutely clean. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. It would benefit me massively this week in All Star Rare Plus. I've, I had 417 points, right? And that's with my Karamakta Kogler getting 27 points. His super rare. Now, if I if I had rolling locks, I'd have just stuck Karamakta Koglu out of the lineup and put Pascal Gross in. He dropped a 90. I'm winning the division, you know, like that. But that's why there shouldn't be rolling locks because these kind of things do happen. And yeah. and that is the entire game. If, if there were rolling locks, like you say, 
PSU fans would probably win five, six, seven tier zeros a week with his gallery. Definitely. Like it, it killed the platform in my opinion. Yeah, what do you no, think, Chris? Agree, yeah. Do you want what Chris? Uh, no, I don't want rolling locks either. I think, <laughs> I think like like you guys have been saying, I think it just helps Wales even more, and we don't we don't want to do that. So. No, fuck the Wales. We fuck hate the Wales. <laughs> right? Should we should we round off with some with, with some weekend picks? I haven't picked anyone, so you know it's always great. So I'll go over last week. So <laughs> the week that didn't finish before the last episode, Ryan won. No, uh, my Matthias Jensen didn't do anything basically on that for Denmark that evening. So that drew us level, all level, three, three, three. Last weekend, I picked Andres Pereira. He put up 40 last night, although he was, I thought he was going to take a penalty at one point because I know he's taken them in the past, but maybe William wasn't on the pitch then. Chris, you picked Oliver Norwood. He shut the bed with a 37. And uh, Ryan picked Ez, uh, Ebrici S.A., who scored 51 and then went injured, off injured. Looks like he's out for a bloody month as well. That's right. Um, so now, miracle of all miracles, Ryan has come from behind and now he's leading. Let's go, boys. And let's lock into this week. Um, Chris, have you got a pick? So this we're not going to go Premier League, just Premier League, because it seems like there's a lot more interest just in um, capped picks in general, uh, especially with obviously the 220 month long. So... Will open the floodgates to a whole host of shite. <laughs> My specialist area, David. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I'll start off then. So, I've got, I've gone for big bad Badu Undi from Adana Den- Demispor. Okay, are you familiar with him, guys? I do know. I know him. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've got, actually, I've, got his, I've got his phone number. Haven't you? How do you spell his big, bloody name? I don't know. <laughs> Um, N apostrophe D I A Y E and D I. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah Badu. It was the big Badu bad that threw me off. I was trying to. It look was called Papa and D I last year, which I prefer actually. Yeah. Badu Papa and D I. So let me tell you a little bit about the uh, the man himself. So um, he's a defensive midfielder, which is a bit different to what we normally go for. Um, from Adana Demispor in Turkey. He's an absolute monster in terms of dueling and, and tackling. Um, he does quite like a shot as well. So he weighs in with the odd goal here and there. I watched him at the weekend and he churned out a 63 um, all on AA. He also hit the crossbar from about 25 yards, um, which was disappointing because I had him as captain in my 240. Um, but he is as solid as, as he can get, really. So... Um, if you look at his scores historically for Adana, he was injured for a little spell recently. He's only just come back for the last couple of games and got a 56 and 63. So um, prior to that, if you look at his... At the weekend. Pardon? He got 66 at the weekend. 66, was it? No, he might have been downscored on, on a, sorry, a data. I'm looking at 63, but yeah, 66, maybe 63. But... Um, he, if you look at his scores historically, you know, over his whole time he's been at Adana, um, he averages 61.5. And if you just uh, filter that to home games, he averages 65.2. So uh, with an AA average of 21.4. So he's really, really high um, floor. Um, and then if you look at the amount of scores he's had over 60, so out of 17 home games, he's got... Um, 10 of them are over 60. So 10 games out of, out of 17, he scored over 60. And he's got three between 80 and 90 and one between 90 and 100. So he hit 
real peaks as well where he does get an assist or a goal. Nice. This weekend, he's got Samsung Spore, who are second bottom in the Turkish league at home. So, yeah, I fancy them. I think they'll do well this weekend, Adana and I think uh, Big Bad, Badu and DI will score well and will be at the heart of that. And get one more question. Uh, sorry, two more questions. What's his blood type and his shoe size? Because you've told us everything else about him. <laughs> He's a big lad. I don't know what his shoe size is. I'll tell you that, actually. Give me two seconds. No, I don't, honestly don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what about I've got you? Got to have a bit of background info on these players. Yeah, I have to say, I was literally getting more and more angry as you were like reading it out. Not for anything you were saying, just because I was like, oh my God, he actually looks really good and I do not want to buy another card. He's 180 centimetres tall, David, just for, for the reference as well. Nice. Record. Blood type? <laughs> I don't know who that was. To be honest, I forgot who he even picked. <laughs> it was that long ago, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was Endai. Yeah, he was good. I, I, I remember trying to get a super at one point. For me, I'm going to go with Christopher Olsen from Michelin. Shout out to Ladino and the, and the Sir Scandinavia Discord. I'm going to go with him because he has had some quite poor form lately, bringing his limited down to two pounds. And it's rare down to fifty, and I think they've got Viborg at home. Uh, he had a great, he had a great game against Silkborg. Yeah, he played well um, last night. So I'm hoping, you know, we'll see him, we'll see him sort of pick up a bit more form now and and kind of push on. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm going to run him. I'm going to run him in a lineup this week as well, uh, and uh, hopefully he'll get the first decisive since I won him four months ago. <laughs> we can only hope. What about you, David? Who are you going with? Oh, God, I've literally got so many picks that I wrote down and now I'm looking through them thinking that I'll go with this one because it's funny. Well, not not that funny, but um, I didn't think he was a particularly great striker, but he started at the weekend for Ajax. Oh, do I have to? I just need to check his price, actually. Is it Brian Robbie? No, I'm sure I bought. Hang on a minute. Oh, no, I'm going to have to pick someone else. He hasn't got a card, although I'm sure I bought his card. That was a bit weird. Okay, right, moving on to the next one. Um, I'm going to go with... Oh, fuck it, I'm going to go with Luis Diaz. One of my guys. I think he plays this thing, but I think he probably plays next weekend as well. He's got an L15 of 43 currently, because he's obviously not... He's had loads of sub-appearances, missed games. Um, I just think over the international break, he looked really good in, a, in both games, although obviously the SFI score was only good in one game. I just think that... He's still relatively cheap. Although I'm sure you guys can tell me if he's uh, shot up. Whoa. Sorry to cut you off. I've seen a very interesting tweet. Sinbins are set to be introduced into professional football after the IFAB agreed in principle to testing the rugby-style measure in elite competitions such as the Premier League potentially as early as next season. The measure would equate to an orange card and see offences deemed worthy of greater punishment than a booking, but not quite meet the threshold of a sending off clamp down on. It's understood that the trial will extend to cynical fouls, with one example understood to be Italy defender Chiellini's shirt pull on Bukayo Saka in the 2020 Euro final, which resulted in a yellow card only. Well, I've been, I've been speaking about this on Twitter for, you know, best part of three months since the Premier League started back up about having orange cards and Simbin and then... It was just reinforced even more when the Rugby World Cup was on about how well that system works. But um, yeah, have you ever played um, five aside or six aside, Ryan, with um, a sim bin? Cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my Saturday and Sunday games have been sim bins as well. Um, on eleven aside now. Yeah, yeah, they've they've had them now. I don't know how long since I've been playing. Anyway, um, usually they're given for descent more than anything. 
Like yeah. if you tell the ref to fuck off or something, you know, call them a bold twat or something, they, yeah. Right. Not that I've that. I'm not going to go for Luis Diaz because I think he's too expensive. So I'm going to go back to IX. I'm going to go for another guy who's just coming back from injury, Devin Wrench, who is pretty cheap and he can crush and ball on his day. Okay, then. Well, there you go. Uh, will Will David and Chris get a point to equal me or will I start pulling away? We'll find out. Find out next time on the So Rare Ramble. Nice. Thank you for listening, everyone. Is there anything else that we need to cover? Oh, or is that Competition. So the competition uh, is now get, set up in the system. Just picking to So Rare to get the logo added. Hopefully it will go live for this upcoming weekend. But to find out all the details about it, I'm not going to tell you anything else about it. Follow at So Rare Ramble on X. Yeah, there you go. We've got it. We've got an official So Rare Ramble page now. So go and follow it, or you'll get a DMP next week. Um, and we should hopefully have these on YouTube by next week. I did a little bit of back end stuff, figuring some things out. Now I did use a different program, but I wasn't a fan of it, which is why this is not on YouTube this week. So we're hoping that next week should be the first of its kind YouTube show as well, which means that you'll be able to see our beautiful faces and Chris's internet die every few seconds when we uh when when we're on youtube as well you just you'll know it because he'll just he'll just freeze mid mid sentence and then you'll be like right okay we know we know what's happened there so yeah thank you for listening everyone make sure if you are can we can they follow us on spotify they can right they can follow us on, follow us on spotify then motherfuckers what the fuck are you doing <laughs> honestly these guys man uh yeah follow our new so ramble page on x i might log in and just shit tweet a little bit you know i might just shit post and stuff like might just get to like some random like dog photo or something like cat with a knife or something i love those cat with knives photos they're my favorite <laughs> we'll be back next week for another episode i've been ryan anyone else want to be like yeah i've been you know sort of i've been monkey there you go and we'll see you we'll I'm see not you soon doing that. Not chris doing has that. been frozen chris yeah <laughs> chris and has gone guys see ya cheers bye